0: Let me invite you to find First Thessalonians chapter two in your Bibles. Um, for our visitors, I am not the pastor or one of the elders. My name is Preston, and uh, preaching been preaching off and on, but we are currently looking at the at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and we are in chapter two. Um, and. Uh, We'll, normally, my habit is to uh, work with just a few verses because what we're looking at today is a story. It's a bit larger, so that's okay. If you saw the, the length of the text in the newsletter or something, you may fear that the, you you know might be occupied for the rest of the day, shall we say. But um, do not fear, little flock. But I will make no promises, so. First Thessalonians, we'll start in chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 17. But first, I um, want to tell you, uh, near where I grew up, there was a, a family, lived on a, a big farm out in the country, nice big two-story house at the end of a long driveway. And the parents' bedroom was wide, right over the driveway, so they could look out their window and see all the way up the driveway out to the, out to the main road. They had several children, about my age, the, their kids were, and uh, still are, and uh, um, But there was a time when the parents were really concerned about one of their kids uh, just making some some choices and they just had no input into his life and he would go out, they had no idea who's speaking into his life, what kind of choices he's making, but but fearful of that. And I remember the father telling me once whenever his son was out at night, he said, I can't go to sleep. I have to, he said, I just stand at my window until I see that the lights of his car turning into our driveway and I know that he's home and he's okay. Well I can't help but think about that when I read our text for today because Paul is in a very similar situation. In Acts 17 he and Timothy and Silas had gone to Thessalonica, preached the gospel, many people had turned to the Lord, but then persecution arose. They were forced to leave much sooner than they wanted to and Paul agonizes over this situation they are separated he has no control no access he doesn't know what is happening with them and he's in he's in agony over this as he and I won't tell you we'll see how the story ends I'll try not to, to spoil this but as he shares his heart's journey in our text today what he is doing one thing he's is doing is just encouraging them to press on that it is vital for us simply just to continue forward. The Christian life is often compared to a race, and it's not a hundred meter sprint. It is a marathon. It is a distance race. It is a race for which we don't need as much speed as we do endurance. We just need to keep running, not quit, but we also need to help one another along the way because we're not in competition with each other. We're all intended to cross the finish line. Saving faith is enduring faith. And the Lord uses us in each other's lives to help us get to the finish line. So we'll read the story, 1 Thessalonians 2, starting verse 17, and just look for, for Paul's emotional ups and downs. His look, Listen as he, he shares his heart's journey. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come see you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come. Come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you. We were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and inflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Wow. Ups and downs, emotional roller coaster, it seems like. well, you may have noticed that Paul is emphatic about how he feels about them. maybe even sound a bit defensive, like he's really trying to explain where he was, and that may be because of what happened in Acts seventeen when they preached. Um, people became jealous, formed a mob, came to find them, but Paul and Silas and Timothy could not be found anywhere instead the the locals bore the brunt of the rage of the mob. they had to post bond to guarantee that. Paul and his band would leave, and so, and so they left by night, and that was it. Well, that could have made Paul's statements about suffering that we've seen in the last couple of weeks sound a bit hollow. That is, of course, we know that Paul suffered greatly for the gospel, eventually paid for it with his life. He wasn't afraid to suffer, but it might be understandable if the Thessalonians wondered what happened <laughs> when, when, when things went down. It's like, Paul, the, the mob came, where were you? Maybe they sent word, because we now know that Timothy has gone and visited and come back. Maybe they sent word to, Timothy's like, Timothy, just ask Paul, like, where were you guys when the grapes hit the fan? You know? Because, I mean, you were gone. The mob couldn't find you. We had to deal with that. And then you leave by night. So it may be that Paul is addressing that. But whatever concerns he might be addressing, to whatever extent he is doing that, I think his, his primary focus is trying to stress to the Thessalonians and to us this need to endure and to help each other endure we have said as we've looked especially at chapters two and three Paul is not just explaining what he was doing but I believe he is trying to help them as they are continuing to share the gospel and make disciples I believe he is adding some equipping in this even as he shares about his own journey because this will be their journey as they share the gospel as they make disciples as perhaps they are forced out of places they are going to find themselves in this same position, and they need to understand how to help people move on. So, the first thing I would have us see is that if we want to help each other press on, press forward in following Christ, we need to simply care about each other, that is to not be indifferent. Again, let's just remind ourselves of the emphatic way Paul expresses his concern. Verse 17, he says, "'We were orphaned by being separated.' That his being taken away from them for him was as traumatic as losing parents. Now, I have a friend who lost both of his parents in a car wreck when he was about 15 years old. You know, it's the most traumatic thing he's ever experienced. It gives you an idea of, of the heartache Paul felt. Again, in verse 17, we were separated in person, but not in thought. So even though we had to leave, our hearts remained with you. Verse, again, verse 17. All this in verse one verse. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So even though they had to leave, it wasn't that they wanted to. They wanted to get back. They couldn't. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you. Verse 20, you are our glory and our joy. And in chapter 3 and verse 1, we could stand it no longer. In verse 5, I could stand it no longer. And then and verse 6 of chapter 3, we long to see you. So you get this genuine affection, this fondness, this, this agony over not knowing, not having any control over what they do, not having any access. It was driving him crazy. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 3, he what he says is not basically, now that I've heard about you, it gave me some relief from my persecution. <laughs> he says, it's like it was a form of persecution being denied access and control, and not so much control. but you know not knowing how they were doing and not being able to find out not being able to see them it was in a sense a form of persecution that that he was enduring so he's deeply concerned he gives some reasons uh, why uh, why he's concerned about them and these are the kinds of concerns that you and I face and that our friends face so it's good for us to understand this first he had seen God do a great work in them and they'd had a good beginning but that is only the beginning. And it is important not only how you begin your walk with Christ, it is important how you finish. And sadly, many people begin who do not finish, and that's, that's grievous and it's tragic. And, and Paul is trying to avoid this. You recall a, a parable that Jesus told about a sower who's, who tosses seed, it lands in four different kinds of soil, and he says, seed is like the word of God, and the four different kinds of soil are like four different conditions of the heart. And they, they describe how people respond to the word. He says, there was hardened soil that didn't receive the seed. And this is like people who, who are not open to hearing the gospel. So they just simply don't receive it. There was shallow soil that received the seed, but it didn't flourish because the heat of the sun caused it to wither. And this is like people, Jesus said, this is like people who are initially open, they receive the word, But when trials come they turn away they abandon their faith. Then there was the thorny soil received the seed something grows up but the thorns choked it out and Jesus says this is like people who hear the word and receive it and and have some kind of response and evidence but the cares of this life and desires for other things choke out the word and then there's good soil and that's what we want to be right the good soil receives the seed and produces an enormous harvest this is the ideal condition of our hearts when we hear the word and we respond in faith. And so it's a, this parable is great for just uh, providing a, an opportunity to check your own heart and your attitude toward the word. Well, I believe Paul was determined to do everything he could to see the Thessalonians did not land in that second category. The shallow soil has immediate response, but in the, in the face of trials, they turned away. I think he was obsessed. He was passionate to see this, and we'll see why. So uh, that's one reason he was concerned. He saw the beginning, but that's the beginning is the beginning. It is not the end. That's You want me to say that again, so you, <laughs> you can write that down, in case that's not clear. Okay. Second reason for his concern is their common enemy, Satan. He's also the enemy of God, of Christ, of the gospel, and he is intent on turning them aside. And in our text for today, Paul mentions two things the devil does. First, he was doing something against the Thessalonians, and then he was doing something against Paul. So chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. So Satan was behind the persecution that the Thessalonians were experiencing. All of that would go away if they would just renounce Christ And go back to their idols. They could be reconnected with whatever friends they had lost. Life could go back to normal. They could put all that quote Christian nonsense behind them. And we could get back to living a normal life. All you have to do (laughs) is give up Jesus. But he was also doing something against Paul. That's in chapter 2 in verse 18. He was hindering Paul from returning. He says in verse 18, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. We don't know exactly what Satan did. Um, That's that's not explicit. Uh, Paul may have felt like the powers that forced Jason there in Thessalonica to post a bond so that to guarantee Paul did not return. He may have thought that was a a, a ploy of Satan, but again, we're just left to understand that sometimes that happens. Now, it may seem far-fetched. It may seem the stuff of myth or fairy tales to, to talk about Satan, but it is neither. Uh, he is a real figure. Scripture tells us of a powerful being, more powerful than we are, but no match for Jesus, of course. His intent is to weaken our faith, to destroy our trust in God by deception, by temptation, by accusation. The name Satan means adversary, and he is the opponent of God and the gospel and of us. He's not a red figure with horns and hooves, a tail, and a pitchfork. Um, he'd be a lot easier to recognize if he were, you know. It's like, and a lot easier to resist, like, okay, I see you, you know, that's a bad guy. You know, see that movie Get Smart, right, and with uh, Steve Carell, you know, and they're on the plane, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, it's not in my nose, I shouldn't do this, but I do it every week, so you're used to it. You know, they look back and they see clearly a bad guy, and it's like, ooh, definitely a bad guy. Now I'm being judgmental. No, he's definitely a bad guy, and he was a bad guy, so... He would be so nice, right? That's not the way it is. He is a deceiver, and he comes to us presenting sin in some way that, that hasn't appealed to us. Temptation always it, it hits something that, that we desire. There's something desirable in that. But we need to understand that Satan has been disarmed by Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection. By his death he satisfied the law so there is, he has no grounds to accuse us. By his resurrection he has destroyed and disarmed the evil one. So we do not need to fall victim to his temptations, neither in the, the, what we'll call the, the smaller temptations to commit maybe some act of sin, but the larger temptation of abandoning our faith in Christ or the temptation to be paralyzed by fear in some of these situations. We don't need to give in to temptation. Because of Christ, because of the gospel. So a third reason Paul was concerned was because of what was at stake in the Thessalonian situation. There are two things. One, uh, their response to the gospel brought him joy, rightly so, but he wasn't focused just on their past, on, you know, congratulations, you have your fire insurance, you have your birth certificate, it's all good. He was was desperate to see them press on, and like parents who love their children, he has linked his happiness to their welfare ultimately to the prospect of standing together with them before the Lord Jesus. He wants to see them there. He wants to see them with him before Christ in glory and in joy. So this is why he says in in verse 19, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. In chapter 3 and verse 8, now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So he's linked his happiness to their welfare. Saving faith is enduring faith and Paul did not want the Thessalonians, he did not want them to be lost because the loss of a soul, it is catastrophic. Jesus said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Now while it's true that all of those chosen by God, as Paul says in in, uh, chapter 1, recognizes their election by God because of their response to the gospel. All of those will endure. They will rise after they fall. It doesn't mean we don't fall. It means after we fall, we rise. We turn away. We we return. But saving faith is enduring faith, and that's what Paul is concerned about here. But even more than than the Thessalonians lost, he's more concerned about a loss of honor to God. See, as we've seen before, in, in all of these issues, Paul is thinking robustly and biblically because the scriptures teach that the messiah would suffer and rise again the spirit would then be poured out and salvation would be proclaimed to the nations and a multitude from every tribe and tongue and language and nation would be around the throne standing before god this is the fruit of the suffering and victory of the messiah so the gospel has to bear fruit because jesus has risen it's The idea of the gospel not bearing fruit was as foreign to Paul as as a four-sided triangle, okay? It's the gospel has to bear fruit. And so for him to say, we were concerned that the tempter might tempt you and that our labor would be in vain, he's not worried that, oh, I don't have as much to report on my monthly statistic report (laughs) to the church in Antioch. That's not what he's worried about. He's not worried about his own embarrassment like, he oh, if I only had... You know, 10 million people before the throne, and I've got 9 million. Ah, those rotten Thessalonians. Knew they weren't as honorable as the ones in Berea. You know, knew they were losers from the beginning. That's not what he's saying. His concern is over the honor of God. Because the gospel has to bear fruit. Because when they say they believe, and then they turn away, what they're saying is, I've tried Jesus, and i found something better. You do not, and you never will find anything or anyone better than Jesus. To say you turn away for something better, it's ridiculous. But what was happening is they're suffering. They're suffering terribly. And the appeal of the pain ending and being restored to their former community, that had to be a great appeal. It's it's a very real struggle that they were having. But Paul paints it for what it is and that this ultimately lies with the honor of God. The gospel has to bear fruit and he will sustain, and he will keep us, and he will keep us following. So any of us might be vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy, that's where we have to watch out for each other. We dare not be indifferent to the condition of each other's souls. We have to ask each other questions, talk to each other, know each other. We don't have the capacity to know everyone to that level, but the ones the Lord brings into your life, it's just good to ask questions. How are you doing? <laughs> what is going on? And and it's okay to probe a bit. You don't need my permission, and I'm not giving because you don't need it from me. You have it from the gospel. So first, just don't be indifferent. Let's care about each other. Second, find a way to help. So Paul agonized over how to help the church, these new believers in Thessalonica. His initial desire was to return, to go back to them. He wanted to return multiple times. He said Satan blocked him, so what does he do? No doubt he prayed. He He's already said several times. He, he prays without ceasing for them. They're close to his heart. You know they never were far from his thoughts and prayers. He eventually sent Timothy. He describes Timothy in uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. He's our brother and co worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ. Now, perhaps Timothy could have gone back to Thessalonica without drawing a lot of intention. Maybe the, the bond that Jason posted and applied to Timothy. We don't know why Timothy was chosen. But Timothy was the newest member of Paul's team. He picked him up right before they went to Philippi. And then to, on to uh, Thessalonica. So this is his first assignment on his own. This is the first time he's been sent out to do something. Paul's not there. Silas is not there. It's just Timothy. And if you've read uh, the letters to Timothy, you understand Timothy does not seem to have been a, a naturally bold person, a naturally confident person. So this is, this is a big test for him as well. But Paul trusted Timothy to do whatever was necessary to strengthen the Thessalonians' faith, and Timothy evidently did just that. I think that meant Paul had to realize his own limitations, that if, if the whole issue was this bond that had to be posted was a guarantee that Paul would not return, he, he was limited in what he could do. He could write letters, obviously he's done that. He could not go. And to me, as I reflected on that, I think, you know, that's, that's a bit freeing. We do not have to be everything to everyone. There are limitations. I think they're God-given limitations on what we can do and God brings other people alongside. You do not have to solve every person's problem. I was reminded of this just this past week we were helping with a family English camp so a lot of Czech families came to this place in the <coughs> uh, about 10 meters past the middle of nowhere and um, uh, it was a great time, uh, it was sponsored by Cirkov Bratrska Church in, in Prague. As it's an annual ministry that they do, and so we were, we were joining them. We were the native, some of the native speakers. So we just Karen and I did uh, English class. Um, the last, it, so because it was sponsored by the church, it was explicitly Christian. We could be open about the gospel. We were able to challenge our class several times. The last night, a lady, one of the students, uh, had a spiritual question. Well, her English was good. My English is decent. I mean, it is from the U.S., but you know, so you know, not proper, but proper. But uh, still, it, it, survive, it suffices, seems to be. They were happy, so, you know. Um, so I, I start to answer, it's like, and her English was quite good, you know, so I start to answer her in check because I have my answers. You know, I'm formulating the responses to the question. But it only took a couple of minutes for three other believers in the class to, to chime in, and within another minute, they were all in check. And my check is conversational, so I could follow what they were saying, and it was just beautiful to see them talking in their heart language, to see these ladies opening up, because honestly, we weren't sure who was and were not believers in our group. Because so everyone had been really quiet about those things, and yet here they were just boldly sharing the gospel. It was, it was a beautiful thing. So my limitation was actually an opportunity for these others to step up, share the gospel, and so it was really a beautiful moment. I, you know, I wasn't going to say, look, you know, this is English, okay? You know, this should be done in English. Like, you know, what we're really there for, and I told them that. We're not English teachers. We want to see you come to know Jesus. So, you know, I mean, I'm not an English teacher. I teach other stuff, good or ill, but, um, you know, it, it was just, it was beautiful. So you may see needs. You may have a friend who's struggling. You say, I don't know how to help them. I don't know how to challenge them. What do I do? you know the answer may lie outside of you. Maybe what you might need to do is connect them with help with somebody who has the gifts and training that maybe you do not. It's like when Barnabas went to Antioch. He, he visited this, he sees this city where a lot of these people without a background in the scriptures, they've turned to the Lord and it says, well it implies he looked past all of their cultural differences. What he saw was the grace of God. Now he understood that what they really needed was robust Bible teaching. Barnabas certainly knew his Bible, but he said, I know the guy. And he goes to Tarsus, and he brings Saul, Paul, to Antioch, and that became their primary sending church. Barnabas connected them with what they needed. Barnabas didn't have to do that. See, that's, that's beautiful, because it's like trap said earlier, we're a family. It's, it's the body of Christ. That's a good thing. All right, third thing, know what they need to press forward. So let's look at why Paul sent Timothy. Verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, we sent Timothy, who is our brother, co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So he knew that their faith needed to be strengthened because they were new in the faith. They were being tested to the limit, beyond their limit, maybe like what? Paul describes happened to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You say, well, Paul, you're not a very good missionary, aren't you supposed to be happy all the time? He was, there was a point when he was so burdened, so tried beyond his strength that he despaired of life itself. Maybe you've been there. Their faith needed to be strengthened. Paul knew that. That's why he sent Timothy. They needed encouragement. Discouragement is one of the enemy's most powerful weapons. Trials are hard. Persecution is hard. Suffering is hard. All of these things are difficult. They're difficult to endure. But discouragement may be the worst because you just feel overwhelmed. You feel at a loss and a loss of desire to even try, and you just sink deeper and deeper into despair and depression. Discouragement is, is powerful. You may have had those seasons. I, I know I have. It's in those times that our faith needs to be not only strengthened, but encouraged. And that's not an end to it itself. He says, You should be strengthened and encouraged so that you won't be unsettled by these trials because there are more trials coming. So what you need is a strong, encouraged faith. And we need each other to do that. It means we need to be watching out for each other. It means we should try to be aware of who isn't around anymore. Who has stopped coming? Why? Just follow up. Brother and sister haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? And just asking and trying to ask questions to see how people are doing. Uh, Fourth thing. Is to rejoice over every positive step. So Timothy returns to Paul, as you heard. He brings the great news that the Thessalonians are standing firm in their faith, and Paul is overjoyed. He is ecstatic. He sums it up in verses 8 and 9. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Now this doesn't mean they were perfect. okay? It means they were standing firm in their faith. They were far from it. In fact, verse 10, he says, there's still some things lacking in their faith. He says, I still want to come to supply what is lacking. I think, picture them getting that letter back. and say, well, what's, what's wrong now? <laughs> you know, but, you know, there were some things lacking, okay? He knew he would address that, I suppose, in person. But in verse 11, he encourages them to grow in love. Verse 13, to grow in holiness, and those are actually the focus of chapter 4. Even as he begins to deal with those things, he commends them, but he urges them to excel still more. And there are more issues that surface in chapter 5 and in the second letter that he wrote, which apparently happened not too long after this one. So they had some areas to work on. They were by no means perfect, but their faith had survived. They were still standing firm, and Paul celebrates this and affirms this. And he, he rejoices that they are at least headed in the right direction, even though their steps may be faltering. So that's a good thing to do. That's encouraging. Affirm whatever we can. Rejoice and affirm and encourage every positive step of faith that we see. Fifth, and finally, the word you're looking for, a model dependence upon God. So Paul did this in several ways. First, he prayed. That's evident from from the letter's just soaked with prayer. He's mentioned it many times. It's a vital part of his life. He prayed often. He prayed intensely, especially for this group of believers. He thanked God. He rejoiced before God. He interceded with God on their behalf. But he also acknowledged that the ultimate reason that Thessalonians were standing firm was the grace of God. He did not congratulate them. He thanked God. It was the grace of God that kept them standing firm. So he says, how can we thank God for the joy we have because of you? That's good. But he's still not congratulating them. He is thanking God because of his grace in their lives. And in verses 11 to 13, he recognizes that God is in control. He trusts God's providence. And God's providence, you know, that's maybe kind of an old word. Don't know if you're familiar with it. But it basically is God's way of running the world without telling us what he's doing. And he just arranges circumstances to so that the choices we make and the things we do in one way or another contribute it, to his will and advance his purpose so it it's it's intended to be freeing it's 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 beautiful and good and encouraging so paul trusted god to direct his path he trusted god to allow his return even though he said satan blocked his way you know he he says in toward the end of of our text today he says you know may god open our way he's like you know God can open the way. He's not bound by what Satan does. He's not bound by what we do. God is God. We're not. And He can open the way, when, in His way and in His timing. We can trust Him to do that. He's He is always working in His providence to see His will and purpose advance. So Paul knew that all of these outcomes were in God's hands. He could trust God to bring him back to Thessalonica if that's what God wanted. Best I can determine, I don't think Paul ever made it back. Now, if you. Know that he did, let me know. But I didn't see that Paul ever made it back to that particular city. Um, maybe he did, in terms of what we have in Acts. Um, but his trust was in the Lord, whether he ever made it back or not. So, my point in this is to let others see that you depend on God and you can trust God to be at work in their lives, too. And in his grace and in his providence, he wants to see us continue to follow. So, we're reminded today. We need to help each other, get toward the finish line, help each other, press on to take the next steps of obedience. We dare not be indifferent to each other. We can't afford it. We have a lot of good reasons to care and to show that we care. We must be praying for each other, find ways to help each other, know what each other needs best we can, rejoice over every kosek, every every little step that that takes us farther down the road, every step of faith, every every act of trust and faith, we celebrate and affirm and encourage those things. And we must press on, but we cannot do it alone. We, we really need each other. And then finally, finally, if uh, all of this just seems really strange to you, you're like my friend who signed up for a race, started running, got separated from the pack, and, and followed best he could, and he got back, found out somehow he'd gotten connected in the wrong race. And Instead of running 5K, he ran like 15K. <laughs> and he's like my age, so he was near death. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, I ran all this way. He said, I was in the wrong race. And I get there and looking for my name on the roll, and they're like, uh, we don't see your name here. Just, you know, wrong race. Well, you may realize maybe you've signed up for the wrong race. That is, You hear us talking about following Christ as a race, and you say, that's not the race I am in. Well, you can start that race, and we would love to help you start, because Jesus died and rose again to bring you to himself, to see you run that race, to see you standing together with us in glory and in joy. That's why he did what he did. That's why we're here today. So if you have interest in those things, please find one of us after the service today. Let us help you uh, understand what it means to know and follow Christ.